Good morning and welcome to another edition of Chatterbox Radio. I am your host, of course, Michael Derrick Roberts. And today we'll continue our political discourse on what is happening in the world uh, next, uh, next week, during the week coming, we're going to delve right back into business as we kind of switch between two essential uh, issues that are germane and in fact important to all of our listeners out there in podcasts and radio land. And that is the question of small business growth and development in a supposedly post-COVID environment. And also today, the real talk, what we're going to speak truth to power in respect to the issue of both local and international news and how that impacts you. So again, good morning and welcome to another edition of Chatterbox Radio where we speak truth to power. Now, in recent days, we've heard a lot about the Silicon Valley Bank and other banks that have uh, imploded on themselves failed. There was a run on the bank and they're now in major financial issues that has put a sort of a dampener um, in the on the financial industry in the United States as a whole and in fact the world because uh, financial institutions are linked, connected, if you will, um, in the global financial marketplace. And so when one bank in the chain has a problem, that causes indeed a ripple effect. And of course, the stock markets begins to tank and there's fear and anxiety inside of the financial market as customers, uh, uh, stockholders, etc., decide to either take out their money or sell their stocks to minimize risk and minimize loss of financial stability. And that's really what happened with the, uh, um, with the Silicon Valley Bank. But the situation is a little bit deeper than that. So let's delve into this. And um, for all of you out there, I'm not a financial expert. I have expertise in small business management, and I am a political campaign strategist and a practicing journalist for over 40 years. So I am in a better place to, to dissect, to, 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 to take a look, up, take an objective look at the situation and then offer an educated analysis. This is by no means a financial uh, advice column. Nor am I saying that uh, what you hear on this podcast is, in fact, uh, financial advice to anybody outside there or any customer, former customer of Silicon Valley, um, Valley Bank. It is just an analysis of what I think happened and what I think is going to happen in the future. First and foremost, the Federal Reserve, the, 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 the banking fraternity, and the United States government should stop, stop bailing out banks under the worn out, debunked notion 
that these banks are too big to fail. Banks in America fail every day. They shut down every day. They close probably five, six, seven, eight, or nine of them every day shut down. Silicon Valley Bank, albeit a large, a relatively large bank in the in, in, in the banking scheme of things in the United States, had a problem from the get-go in that it took depositors' money and invested in risky enterprises, namely bond the bond market. The difference between the bond market and the stock market is, is the following. As I understand it, stock market, it can go on for, uh, you, you can buy stocks and hold on to them for a considerable amount of time, from uh, ranging from months to years to decades. The, with the bond market, it is fixed. You normally get a fixed rate of interest. Now, when the markets are great and the interest goes up, you probably make a little bit more money on your, on your investment. But bonds have a final date when the bond is due to those who those bondholders. Consider it like an IOU to the to the United States government and, and other financial institutions that float bonds for different reasons. In the case of the government, it may be for infrastructure development. In the case of a large corporation. Uh, or a local government like New York City government, it may be for a number of other uh, a number of issues. So what banks do is that they often buy these uh, guaranteed uh, uh, financial instruments so that the money is is fixed. You get a return rate on it, a fixed interest rate on it, but that money is fixed. The principal is fixed. It doesn't fluctuate. As stocks are in on a daily basis on the stock market does, and subject to a lot of other social, financial, and economic stimuli. So that's the the, the basis and the context for that. But every economist will tell you that in the scheme of things, bonds can be both volatile in terms of what the returns are and can be risky, especially in area in times of economic uncertainty, when the potential to risk and uh, to, to raise and lower standing rates varies and can and can fluctuate wildly. So when that happens, as in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, consumers, investors and depositors became increasingly skittish and what the, uh, that resulted in a run on the bank for deposits when that happens and deposited and depositors call for the money the bank that has uh, in fact invested and lent out depositors monies as a normal course of business cannot recoup that money and as a result the bank crashes this is what happened in a nutshell from a Lehman's point of view with Silicon Valley Bank but here is the reason why I am literally opposed to bailing these banks out. They should not be rewarded by ta with taxpayer money for bad investments and investments that they knew from the get-go would be and are risky.
They knew this. They should not benefit from taxpayers' money as part of the bailout. Imagine, if you will, that we, as American people, continue to bail out everybody who drives a car when they commit an accident. That's not going to help the community to be uh, to, 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 to drive less carefully on the road. There's no incentive. You get crashed, you crash your car, government pays you some money to fix the car, that's fine. It's the same with the bank. None of them, none of the people who are involved in these risky events will be hauled before the courts and the court of public opinion and asked to defend, to tell the, the investors and, and, and depositors what it is they did. They're not going to do that. So banks are going to come, the larger banks are going to come together and like as they did, put down in a record time $30 billion to bail out these banks that are responsible for causing their own mess and, 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 and hamstring the financial situation. They should not be rewarded. They should be punished for the way that they have handled depositors' money. And there's a, a quite simple, easy understanding for not being out large banks. Every depositor in the United States who deposit a money in the bank is insured by the FDIC to the tune of a quarter million dollars. So if you have $100,000 in the bank, you're going to get your money from the FDIC. If you have $80,000 in the bank, you're going to get it from the FDIC. It is insured at no additional cost to the bank. So building the bank out doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me at all. That's, what, that's one of the issues that I have with building out these banks. Moreover, by building the banks out and rewarding them for their poor sense of judgment or, or lack of judgment in handling deposited money, you only encourage more wrongdoing down the line as a result. That's the concept in which I have a problem with the bailout of Silicon Valley um, um, Bank and as a practice, how this works. Now juxtapose, juxtapose that with the way that the political establishment, both Democrats and Republicans, had a hitsy fit over giving Americans reeling from a pandemic that they did not cause, suffering hunger, long lines, death and destruction every day, reeling with every social malaise and ill imaginable as a result of the pandemic and the way that they hem and hawed, nitpicked, and, and literally were opposed to giving poor Americans $1,200 for one month in, in stimulus, whatever it was called, I don't remember what the hell it was called, um, a package of information. When other countries of the world, in the industrialized country of the world, advanced country of the world, were given more, like Canada, like Great Britain, like other parts of Europe, like Russia, for example, like China. We were here hemming and hawing for a couple thousand dollars to poor people, their own money, taxpayers' money. 
but we are comfortable. There is no first bank with giving a failed bank, a failed banking institution that was reckless and derelict with taxpayers' depositors' money. We now have no problem bailing them out to the tune of billion dollars under the uh, under the rubric that well they're too big to fail and we need to show up the banking institution. My big question would be why? 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 I wish the Biden administration and all the others out there would tell the American people, tell us on Chatterbox Radio here today, why are you bailing out failed banks? What is the reason for failing out, failing out failing banks? I get a bit tongue-tied this morning, I'm sorry, because... I'm very passionate about this stuff. And given the fact that many banks, small local banks, close and fail every day and don't get the kind of bailout, the kind of lifeline to save them on a daily basis. You're listening to Chatterbox Radio, the podcast that speaks through to power and it's about government, local news, etc. that impact you, the ordinary Joe Blow on the street, who may not be sophisticated enough to peel back the layers of the onion called corruption in government, corruption at financial levels, and the failed issues of American capitalism when it comes to us. So that has been one of the serious issues of the week, and I thought I'd address it this morning. The second issue, of course, is about the war in Ukraine. And let me start by prefacing this segment of the show in saying that all wars, not just the one in the Ukraine, all wars are wrong and are bad. It's a scourge on the human condition, on human society. It is a scourge on human society. There are no winners in wars. They are only losers. Wars are acts of violence perpetrated by nation states when negotiating, compromise, and dialogue have failed. It is inhumane, it is barbaric, and it has been the worst kind of human impulse since time immemorial. No, don't get me wrong. Wars are not going to stop, stop any day soon. As long as human beings are alive, there will be wars. It's just the, the way we are hardwired as a, as, a, as a species. Killing each other has been the pastime of, of various species of, of humans for centuries, millennia. So that's not going to cause soon. But you'd figure that in a modern environment, that wars should be minim- minimized, that we should have minimum amount of war. We, we don't need to have a thousand year wars and hope on. Now, so let's look at the, mo- the most recent war, the war in the Ukraine that is a little bit over a year old. The US and its allies, well, white allies, they whip some brown, and, some brown ones in between, but mainly Europe, was 
whipped into a war frenzy by the United States. First and foremost, by attempting and now succeeding to deny Russia's oil and gas to be sold in Europe at cheaper rates. Let's, let's, let's just let's, let's debunk and peel back this onion. The first salvo in the war was the US, is the US and the Western government's vitriolic opposition to what is called the Nord Stream pipe, Pipelines 1 and 2. That is a pipeline that came from Russia that passed through Germany at the bottom of the sea to deliver cheap oil and natural gas to the rest of Europe. As opposed to Amer the American government shipping oil and gas, as it, it no as it now does, to Europe at a far more exorbitant and greater price and could only benefit American companies. That is the economic undergirding of what is happening. At the same time, while all this was happening, as far back as Bill Clinton, Russia was given an undertaking that NATO would no longer ex expand towards its borders. Over the years, NATO has included a whole bunch of states, right now numbering about 32 European states, that are members of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Ukraine is, of course, the prize. What NATO's expansion to Ukraine would have meant is that the United States and its allies could have stationed serious military hardware on a NATO member that, that directly threatens Russia. That is a fundamental fact undergirding this issue. Within that context, the Russian government saw and looming an impending threat and therefore moved to act. Now, was the invasion of the Ukraine right or wrong? Any war, any invasion is patently and fundamentally wrong. But this matter could have been handled. It could have been handling far better by the powers that be, and the matter would have been easily resolved. This attempt at egging on the Ukraine into war is not new. As a matter of fact, when Joe Biden was the, was the vice president of the United States, he and a number of neoconservative hawks within the Obama administration egged on what was called, I don't remember what is the, the, the Medan, I think it's the Medan Revolution or the Medan, whatever it was called, that ran the legitimate elected president of the Ukraine out of tongue, even after he, he promised the demands to the insurgent um, people who were trying to get him out of office he promised elections that December. That was not enough. Joe Biden was one of the people serving coffee and tea to insurrectionists who were shooting guns at the parliament building in attempts to dislodge a legitimate government. That is a fact of history. The same people that speak eloquently and are cussing out and quarreling about January 6th egged on the same thing in the Ukraine 
with a legitimately elected president who had promised to do elections acquiescent to the people's demands, the, the small minority demands to hold an election. But that was not the case. They didn't really want that because had he held an election that December, he would win. So kicking him out of office was what was necessary to put in place a supine, squeamish, easily led leader, quote-unquote. Who did they pick? Well, a former television host who never held political office in his life, didn't understand the nuances of what was happening in the Ukraine and the, the, the great power rivalry between NATO and, 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 and everybody else. He didn't know anything about these things. But he was elected by a number of Western governments and put in place a fellow called Zelensky right now who walks around like if he's a weightlifter as if he can one day reach into, the, reach into, into Russia. So Russia invaded and it gave the West now the opportunity as it did throughout history the United States entered the, 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 the Vietnam War with the Gulf of Tonkin incident where it shot at its own troops to create a pretext for entering the Vietnam War. That is history. You can look it up. Google it. That's how it's called the Gulf of Tonkin industry. And during the Gulf of Tonkin in, um, issue, I'm sorry, during the Vietnam War, there were numerous massacres. The U.S. dropped more ordnance and bombs on Vietnam that they did in, 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 that they did in the Second and First World Wars combined. Let that sink in. Drop more military ordnance, more bomb, more napalm, more, more everything. Agent Orange as a defoliate, as a defoliate killed thousands of Vietnamese. Even today, Vietnamese children are born with all kinds of birth defects. The U.S. dropped two bombs, one on Nagasaki and one on Hiroshima in the Second World War, under the pretext that they were trying to end the war. At a time when, German, when, when Japan had already surrendered and so forth. Remember, they didn't drop those bombs on, on, on white Germany. They didn't. They dropped it on Japan. Now today, fast forward, there's a war in the Ukraine. And what the Russians have done, while egregious and wrong and brutal, pales into insignificance, into the over 1 million, 1.2 million people, civilians dead, that took place in the war in Iraq, which is a recent phenomenon. It pales into insignificance. The, the, the massacres in Fallujah, and every other part of Iraq. Iraq, right now today, you can go to the Global Strategies website and see the numbers of massacres that constitute unabridged and unmitigated war crimes that were never investigated by the ICC. Nobody was brought to, to justice, quote-unquote, for that. The celebrated Malay massacre only came to the public news, that was, Viet, that was during the Vietnam War, when public pressure and good journalistic work 
uh, when um, reveal the scope of the brutality done to innocent Vietnamese. So trying to peg Russia, even with its allegations of war crimes, as being somehow an outlier in the modern world is ridiculous. Just in the Middle East right now, even though there's an uneasy truth, the Saudi Air Force, armed to the teeth by the United States government and other Western governments like France and England, have committed untold war crimes in Yemen. Untold war crimes in Yemen, as of today. Yet, the ICC and others have never opened an investigation or brought this U.S. and Western ally to heel. The French and Canadians have committed war crimes in Libya and after the fall of Gaddafi, bombing indiscriminately. But we have not heard about war crimes for them. We haven't heard war crimes for them at all. Israel continues to commit acts of war crime and literally ongoing genocide in a, in a largely defenseless Palestine. And yet we're hearing nothing like that. Why? Well, here's the reason. Geopolitically, the U.S. is locked in a new Cold War with two countries. It's locked in a Cold War with China, and it's locked in a Cold War with Russia because it wants to break up the Russian-Chinese alliance. That is doomed to fail because this week, this, um, I'm sorry, next week, the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, is heading to Moscow for talks. And while Slovakia, little Slovakia, and neighboring Poland has no problem in saying, oh, we're going to give Ukraine fighter jets. The U.S. and Western narrative, when it comes to Russia, is that the Chinese cannot arm Russia because the U.S. said so and imposes sanctions. Now, how crass and arrogant could that ever be? Now, the culmination of all this nonsense, and I use nonsense in a figurative way, is that the ICC, that the U.S. is not a member of, doesn't recognize, doesn't collaborate with, maybe now, just as it does with the U.N. when it wants to cover for its own war crimes, all of a sudden the ICC issues an arrest warrant for the president of Russia before the war is done, before there's an independent verification of war crimes in a war zone. That is, that not just, just, that is not just smelling fishy. It is fishy. No, I am not here saying that, they are no, that, that war crimes have not been committed. Oh yes, war crimes must be committed. It is a war. They no sanitize lovely, clean war. They're going to be war crimes. They're going to be raped on um, extrajudicial murder by its very nature. That is what, what war is all about. What I am saying is, even before the cessation of hostilities for the U.S. and its allies to pressure the International Criminal Court to bring war crimes, 
to 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 issue a an arrest war, uh, warrant for the Russian president is not the right way to go. That doesn't mean, as I said and reiterate, that there are not war crimes and war crimes have not been committed by both sides in the Ukraine. It's a war. Rather, the emphasis should be now on cessation of hostilities and ending the war. But the, the, the Western governments cannot afford to do that. There, there's, too, there's just too many, too much arms to be sold, too much war profiteering to be made, too much money to be made, and too much investment into the war right now. Let's be very clear. This war is going to end in a negotiated settlement, whether the Ukrainians like it or not. Whether Zelensky, with all his jingoistic hyperbole and warmongering chat about all this territory and so forth, that's not going to happen. You're not going to get back the Crimea. He's not going to get back the other parts of the Donbass that the Russians have taken. That's not going to happen. But that is the rationale for keeping and stoking the ongoing fire. So let's clearly beg to make sure and make sure that all of the issues are on the table and that we look at this issue of war in Ukraine and across the world with critical thinking methodologies. It's not about siding with one side or the other. This is not about patriotism or the lack thereof. This is not about blaming, blaming America or blaming Russia. This is about laying the facts out as they are and allowing you, my listeners, to draw a conclusion. You are listening to, of course, Chatterbox Radio. I'm your host, Michael Derek Roberts. Until next time, here is having you, here is wishing you a very, very pleasant weekend and a most productive week coming and take care of yourself.